In the first three chapters of Daniel, we've seen Daniel and his friends in this foreign land, strangers who are out of place. And one of the things that we've been saying all along is that, that we're, we're much the same as Daniel and his friends. As Christians, we're in the world, but not of it. We're here, but we don't fully belong. This is not our home. This is not our final resting place. That's why we've called this series A Tale of Two Kingdoms. On one hand, we live here in man's kingdom, but on the other hand, we have another one foot in the kingdom of God looking forward to the full final realization of God's kingdom when it will be revealed at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. About 20 years have passed since the events of Daniel chapter 3, Daniel's friends being miraculously saved from the burning fiery furnace. So while it was just a week ago that we studied those events, Daniel would be about, uh, about 40 years old now. Still a relatively young man, right? Can I get an amen? That's young, right? It's getting closer. But we still find this King Nebuchadnezzar a proud and hard-hearted man. You would have thought after last, the last chapter that he would have got it. He built this statue, wanted all the glory and praise to go to himself, and God just totally showed up in a real and powerful way and showed him who the true king was, who the true Lord of Lords was. And Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter 3 sort of paid lip service, like I kind of get it, I kind of almost understand, but we find him back here in chapter 4, back where he started, full of pride, with, a, with a, the spotlight on him. And so God is going to have to go to drastic measures to get a hold of Nebuchadnezzar. If Nebuchadnezzar was alive today, he would be all over the television. He would have his face on every coin and dollar and every form of currency he could. He would, he would be holding press conferences for even the most minute details of an, of an announcement. He would be all over social media. He would put Donald Trump to shame on a Twitter account. This guy was absolutely uh, the center of his universe, and he wanted everyone to be thinking about him, talking about him, looking at him, and in some cases, worshiping him. And so God is going to show him, and the key, the key phrase, we see, we're going to see it three times in verse 17, verse 25, and verse 32, is that the most High rules. God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know who God truly is. So the first thing that I want us to see today is that we need to be humbled by God's sovereignty. Being humbled by God's sovereignty. We see this as Nebuchadnezzar gives an introduction in the first three verses. Chapter 4 is a little bit of a letter from Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel wrote the book of Daniel, but this is, this is Nebuchadnezzar's recounting of what God is going to do in his life. So the first three verses, they go like this. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. 
Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm about to tell you a story. I want to tell you what God has done in my life. He says, I want everybody to hear this. The, the, the nations, the languages, everybody, listen up to what I'm about to tell you. You know, God is at work in, in your life. I don't know what he's been doing exactly. Maybe he's been blessing in, in, in different ways and has provided for you miraculously. Maybe he showed you something from his word that just challenged and encouraged your hearts. Maybe you've been seeing him work in the midst of trials and difficulties. I don't know what it is, but I know God is at work in your life. And I know God is blessing you and taking care of you, uh, even if it doesn't always seem like it right at the, uh, on face value. But I wonder today, do you, do you tell others about it? Do you give thanks to God for his work in your heart and life? Do you give him the glory and the praise? Do you look for opportunities to share the love and the grace that God has poured out in your life? Nebuchadnezzar here wanted everybody to know what God had been doing in his heart. He wanted everybody to know that although God had to bring him very painfully to his knees, that there was something for everyone to learn. You know, there are people that need to hear your story. There are people that need to hear what God is doing in your life. Make sure that you give testimony to how God is at work. People can debate and argue all they want about the Bible and is there a God and, and where did we come from. And those are, those are issues that there are constant debates about. But what no one can argue is the work that God has done in your own heart. No one can debate if God has changed your life, no one can, can, can quibble with you over the work that God has done in making you more and more like Jesus. Make sure that you give testimony to what God has done in your life. Secondly, though, we see the king experiencing God's sovereignty. He's going to be humbled by God's sovereignty. But we're going to see him uh, right in action here experiencing the sovereignty of God, because Nebuchadnezzar is going to have another dream. We, we spent some time talking about his first dream in chapter 2, and now we find him in verse 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Everything was going well for this guy. He was, he was the center of his universe, and he had all of his ducks in a row. He had all the wealth he could imagine, and he said, everything was going smoothly. And then, verse 5, I saw a dream that made me afraid. This was not a good dream. This was not a dream that he woke up and was happy. This was a dream that struck fear into his heart. Many of you U of M fans experienced this last night. It seemed like a bad dream about 11.30 last night as the clock was ticking down. Now you know what Nebuchadnezzar felt. Add, multiply that feeling and he says, as I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions uh, of my head alarmed me. It's not one of those dreams where you want to close your eyes and try to go back asleep so you could finish it. He was shaken by this dream. He said in verse 6, So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Sounds like chapter 2, just like chapter 2. Then all the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, this time it's different. He says, and I told them the dream. 
but they could not make known to me its interpretation. So rather than withholding them, or we, we said in chapter 2, we don't know if he was withholding it or if he just didn't know, couldn't remember his dream. But this time he remembered it and he told it to them and they still couldn't help him out. And so in verse 8 it says, At last Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. And so Daniel comes in. We don't know why he wasn't brought in first. I mean, he's been the go-to guy now for years, but very possibly he wasn't nearby. It took him a little longer to get there. And so he shows up in chapter 8, and the king's relieved. Oh, Daniel, now that you're here, I need you to tell me what these things mean. I need you to fill me in. Help me understand what I dreamt. And so he's going to describe his dream to Daniel, beginning in verse 10. He had a vision of a tree that was in the middle of the earth. This tree grew gigantic with luscious, dark green leaves. It produced fruit for everyone to enjoy. The animals came and took shade underneath its leaves. The birds found nests in the branches. It was a tree that everyone could enjoy, that everyone could see far and wide. But then in his vision, according to verse 13, he says, As I lay in bed, behold, a watcher, a holy one, came from heaven. The the word watcher is just another word for angel. He sees an angel come down from heaven. Verse 14, he proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Nebuchadnezzar saw this very vivid dream that that beautiful tree that everyone could see and every, every being enjoyed, it was cut down. The animals scattered. It was no longer bearing fruit. It was no longer giving shade. The tree was cut down. And he was told that this is going to happen so that you may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. You know, Nebuchadnezzar called Daniel for some insight on this dream, but I have to think that deep down he knew what was going on here. The watcher, the angel, made it clear to him, this tree, this tree's going down. And then he goes further, and I don't know if you noticed, but the pronoun changed from impersonal pronoun. It it, it spoke of it as the, the tree. And then in verse 15, it says, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. Daniel hears all this, 
tree, beautiful tree being chopped down, this man turning into a half-man, half-animal creature. And Daniel was heartbroken. Verse 19 says that Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king could see that he was troubled. The king could see that he was bothered by this. I mean, you know, it's, it's no fun bringing bad news to someone. But I've never been in this position, but I imagine that it's even less fun bringing bad news to someone who could chop your head off when they're unhappy with you. And so Daniel's troubled by this. And the, the king could tell that Daniel was bothered. And so um, he says, and uh, midway through verse 19, Belshazzar, let not this dream or interpretation alarm you. Like, it's okay. Just tell me. I just want to know what it was. It's all right. I'm not, I'm not going to put you to death here. And Belshazzar answered, Daniel answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Daniel said, Listen, I don't wish this on you at all. I wish this was some, some enemy of yours, someone who hated you, because I've got bad news for you, king. Yeah, I just, once again, I just admire Daniel. Daniel, Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar. This was the man that had kidnapped him as a teenager, brought him into exile, threatened him on different situations, different, different times. And yet over the years, Daniel had, had, had come to love him. You know, Jesus is going to tell us to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. That's, that's not the first inclination of my heart. When someone wrongs me, I want to get them back. When someone shuns me, I want to shun them back. Daniel, you had this pagan king who had tried to kill his friends in a fiery furnace, and he had every chance to be licking his chops, saying, now you're going down, king. Now you're going to get your comeuppance. You're going to get what you deserve. But Daniel loved this man because he wanted to see him, I believe, wanted to see him follow the one true God. We should never rejoice in another's punishment. We should never rejoice when someone gets theirs. Our prayer should always be, Lord, change their heart. I know this is what they deserve, but you know what? You and I deserve the same thing. There's not one of us here who's innocent. Not one of us deserved the loving grace of God. And we, we received forgiveness that we didn't earn. We should pray for those who are enemies. Love those who hate us. Daniel here didn't want the king, didn't want to see the king get his due. He wanted to see him turn to God, to repent. And he was genuinely broken about the news that he had to share him, share with him. We won't read it, but in 19 through 26, Daniel explains that he says, Hey, that tree is you. And king, you're, you're going down. You've, you've come to this exalted place and your pride is just 
just oozing out of you. All you want is attention and glory and honor. And he says, for that, your kingdom is coming to an end. You will be brought low. And he said, you're going to be brought to a place where, where you're like an animal, crawling around. And the grass, the dew will be upon you. And that's exactly what was going to happen. But before it did, Daniel ends his interpretation in verse 27, and he says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. I love Daniel's courage here. Not only did he have the courage to interpret this bad news dream, but then he goes further and he says, But turn, king, repent. Perhaps your prosperity will go on. You know, it takes courage to speak up. It takes even more courage to speak up to someone who can take your head off. You know, God has given us a message. And and you're going to encounter people in your life that you have the chance to minister to. And, And maybe it's a fellow Christian. Maybe it's someone teetering on the brink of a really, really bad decision. And there could be that temptation to Retreat, not speak up. I want to be their friend. I want them to like me. I don't know what they're going to say if I say. You know, over and over again, we see Daniel having the courage to speak what's on his heart because he knows it's right. And that's what you and I are called to do by God, to speak the truth in love. I mean, the love is just coming out of this truth here, right? Daniel wasn't just a, hey, this is what you got to do. Deal with it or you're going down. He was brokenhearted and out of that love, he said, King, just listen to me for a second. If you repent, if you turn from your ways, perhaps God will be gracious to you. Oh, may God grant us the courage to say those difficult words to people when we need to. But let it be done so with love, just like Daniel did here with Nebuchadnezzar. So verse 28, the scene changes. It says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? (laughs) God gave him a year, 12 months, and I don't know how Nebuchadnezzar responded at the end of verse 27. Maybe it was like we are sometimes. There was that initial uh, conviction of sin. How many times have you maybe read your Bible or maybe come to church and God's Holy Spirit during the service was at work saying, you need to deal with that. You need to deal with that. And you think, ah, that's right. I need to deal with that. And you go home, the kids are fighting and whiny in the car, and, and you don't have anything ready for lunch, so you, 
they order pizza, and then they're late with the pizza. They ruined it, and so you got to wait for another one. And then you get there, and you miss the opening kickoff of the Lions game, and then they start they start losing, and then they're going to try to come from behind in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, you've had a busy Sunday afternoon, and the conviction that the Holy Spirit was doing at about 11.45 now has just been lost in, in the busyness of life. Or, or maybe it's, maybe, maybe that conviction stayed there. You know, the Lions, Lions finished the game and the Holy Spirit brought it back to mind and you started thinking about it and you think, well, I know when the pastor was talking about this or I know when I read this, it seemed kind of raw and fresh and like I really need to deal with this. But you know, after all, it's not that big of a deal. I might turn on the news, see mass shootings and people screaming all kinds of vitriol at each other. And this really is not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. And besides, I kind of like it. It's, it's kind of, I feel good when I do it. And I'm, 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 you know, I got this guy over here. He's doing it too. Whatever, however we do that. And before we know it, we've pushed the Bible calls it quenching the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we've become okay with whatever that sin is, whatever that issue that God was trying to bring to our attention. We've pushed it aside. I just have to wonder if that's not what Nebuchadnezzar did. Maybe when Daniel first rebuked him, he thought, okay, yeah, I, I'm kind of full of myself. People have been trying to tell me that, and I, I probably should deal with it. And maybe for a couple weeks he was good, maybe even a month trying to be humble, and then he kind of forgot about it, and he starts to look around at his kingdom, and then, you know, after all, I am kind of a big deal. Um, you know, maybe that's not such a problem to realize that after all. Maybe it's okay if I have people worship me. And, and all of a sudden, now a year later, he's walking on the roof of his palace, looking at his kingdom. And In fact, one writer, based on archaeology, uh, archaeological evidence, uh, he gave us an idea of what he might have been seeing. It says, From the roof he looked down on the processional avenue, which he'd paved with limestone and decorated with lion figures. He could see the famous hanging gardens he'd built for his wife. A little further down he saw the temple he'd built for his god Marduk. And next to it, the ziggurat tower, consisting of seven levels, the top being 288 feet, a 30-story tower. He could see many of the 53 temples that he had either built or restored. Then there was the double inner wall with its large defensive towers. Beyond the inner wall, he could see the huge double outer wall that he had built. And some of the eight massive gates that spread throughout that wall, giving access to the city. Babylon was one of the preeminent cities in all of human civilization and during Nebuchadnezzar's reign was the most magnificent and probably the largest city on all the earth. And he stands on his rooftop and he says, look what I've done. Look what I've built. Nebuchadnezzar's pride was just oozing out of him. Psalm 10.4 says, in in his pride, the wicked does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. That's where Nebuchadnezzar was at. Unless we be too quick to judge, our pride can take us to the same place. None of us are on top of, going to be on top of any buildings this week, pointing out, looking 
showing everyone what we've done. But our pride creeps up in, in subtler, smaller ways. And we crave the praise and the attention of, of others. When I get angry with my child in the grocery store for, for throwing a fit, not because they're being disrespectful, but because they're embarrassing me. We could find all kinds of examples when someone else gets the credit for work you feel like you've done. Our pride is just everywhere. It's really the first sin, Satan. I want to be like God. I should be getting the credit too. I'm, I'm a beautiful angel. And pride has been the downfall throughout all of humanity. It's what Satan tempted Jesus with. Stand on top of the temple. Look, I'll give you all this. I'll give you all of this if you'll just bow down. Pride is there always lurking. And Nebuchadnezzar had given over to it. Despite what he had seen God do, he still wanted the credit for himself. And so God was going to sovereignly humble him. And I, the way this is phrased, I love the word picture. Verse 31, it says, While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. The, the words hadn't even finished crossing the threshold of his lips. And God speaks to him, and it says, O king, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you. And you shall be driven among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar would not listen and he literally drove him insane. There's a medical condition that this has been observed throughout history. But even if, even if no one else had done this before, we know that God has the power to do a, a, a crazy, uh, I don't know, a miraculous punishment type, whatever you want to call this. But literally, he was an insane man who thought he was an animal and lived, it says, for seven periods of time. We don't know if that's seven years. Probably, usually the number seven uh, in the Bible speaks of perfection or completion. So probably it's referring to uh, a completed time, a completed period of time. But either way, he was, he was out as king. He was... He was wandering through the meadows and the woods like a wild animal and was driven out of his mind. This morning, I want to exhort you, if you're someone who's walking away from the Lord or maybe has never ever walked with him to begin with, this God stuff has always been for somebody else, listen, please don't Please don't require rock bottom for God to get your attention. Some people, some of us, are, are stubborn people naturally. Listen, I don't, I'm not asking for a show of hands. No spouse is going like this, all right? But some of us are, are stubborn people, and it takes a little, little more to get through of us, through to us. But other times, we're so, so hard-hearted that we ignore all the signs, we ignore all the, the beckonings from God, and we've got to hit rock bottom. My plea with you this morning is don't, 
Listen to the Word of God. Listen to the work of the Holy Spirit on your heart. Don't require rock bottom for God to get your attention. And if, if you're one of those people who did hit rock bottom, by all means, and, 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 and God has, has brought back up and, and, and your life has been changed, by all means, share your testimony with people. Like the, like the song says, don't do what I have done. Share that with people so that others might avoid the same mistakes, same paths that you've walked down. But Nebuchadnezzar was a guy who literally had to reach the bottom of the well before he would listen to God. But he did listen. That's the good news here, is that God gripped his heart. He did turn back to God, and that's why he's writing this story. He says in verse 34, and, and, and I guess that's the, the third point in your outline, is then now testifying to God's sovereignty. Testifying to God's sovereignty. That's exactly what he does. He says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. All of a sudden, he stopped looking in the mirror at himself, and he looked up at the sky at the Lord. And he says, my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion, listen to this worship song. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say, stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned to me. And he goes on to say that God restored to him his kingdom. God gave him his position back as king. It took rock bottom, but he realized who God was, who he was, and that he was not God. The two did not overlap. He was a human king that God allowed to be a king, and God was the one who ruled the universe in sovereign love. And he gave testimony that the Most High rules. That was the lesson he had to learn. That was the lesson for the original audience who was reading this. Remember, this is being written at a time when the people of Israel were in exile, away from their homeland, dominated by foreigners. They needed to know that the Most High still ruled. This morning, that's the message for us, that God wants our pride to be dealt with. And that we recognize that he's the sovereign ruler of the universe. I'm going to tell you three quick reasons why that makes a difference in your life. Knowing that the Most High rules, first of all, it humbles us. When we know that God is in charge, we realize quickly that we are not in charge. I love what John Piper says when he says that Jesus came into the world to convert people from godlike dependence on self to childlike dependence on God. Think about that again. Jesus came into the world to convert people from godlike dependence on self. Where I'm I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. God came to convert people from godlike dependence on self to childlike dependence upon him. And then he died to pay the penalty for our pride, to show us the way to humility, and to send all our boasting toward God and not ourselves. 
That's why Paul could write in Galatians 6.14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that the sovereign most high God rules, it humbles us. But secondly, it gives us confidence. It gives us confidence in this world of chaos and mayhem and uncertainty. We can be rock-solid confident that God is at work, that God is in control, and He still is on the throne, even on days when it doesn't seem like it. Even when on days like Daniel, when you're pulled away from your family, taken away from everything you know, your world is turned upside down, and all of a sudden you're living in a foreign land. No matter what happens... We can have confidence that God wins. Knowing that God is sovereignly in control, it doesn't mean that we sit idly by, like we said before, a, a case, sarah, sarah attitude. But it means that we can go bravely forward into life, trusting that our loving Father sees the larger picture and He is faithfully working out everything for our good and for His glory. Believing in the sovereignty of God gives us confidence. And finally, number three, it gives us peace. Knowing that the most high rules, it gives us peace. Knowing that you don't have to run the world, knowing that you don't have to have all the answers, doesn't it just kind of take a little bit off your shoulders? Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He did not say, you can comb the Gospels. He did not say, I have come so that you might freak out and be anxious all the time. I didn't come so you could be burdened down, lying awake at night, trying to solve your problems. He says, I've come so that you might have peace. I guarantee you Nebuchadnezzar's life was much better when he recognized God was the sovereign king and that he was just an underling in service of the Most High God. This morning, I want you to remember that the Most High rules. It's not me. It's not you. And the ripple effects of having a God who is sovereign over all are profound. We can live life with courage and confidence We can have peace, and we can have boldness as we go forth, knowing that His kingdom shall prevail. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we ask today that the lessons that you so graciously taught Nebuchadnezzar would be very real to us here several thousand years later. Give us eyes to see the pride that so easily can well up. Let us not dismiss Nebuchadnezzar because we don't walk on top of our palace proclaiming our greatness. But may we search our hearts to see where pride is a reality in our marriage with our kids and grandkids at work. Oh, in the body of Christ. And Lord, may we be convicted of our pride, repent of it, and turn from it by your grace. 
And let us, like Nebuchadnezzar, understand that the Most High rules so that we can have courage in the face of adversity and uncertainty, knowing that our our God's in control. Let us be able to have peace, be set free from anxiety and worry, knowing that you've got it. It's in your hands. Oh, Lord, write these truths upon our hearts, and may we take them with us this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.